You're listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University with Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings. Join them as they bring hope and encouragement through 25 years of combined experience in biblical discipleship and counseling as ACBC counselors. Shelby and Kimberly provide biblical and practical wisdom by coming alongside women with the teaching and resources necessary to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome, Women's Hope listeners. We are so thankful that you've decided to join us today. And Kim and I are very excited to welcome a very special guest on our show today. But before I introduce him, I also want to welcome my wonderful friend and co-host, Kim Cummings. Hey, friend, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm with you. Oh, ha- you're ha- sweet. Happy birthday. Oh, I knew that you were going to slip <laughs> yes, that in Yes, happy there. birthday. <laughs> That's hilarious. Mm. Uh, my last year in my 50s, but uh, we digress. Anyway. <laughs> embracing it. Mm. Yeah, embracing it. Well, this is a special week for your husband as well, Kim. Uh, talk a little bit about where da- what David gets to do this week. It is a great week. We have uh, the Shepherds Conference this week, and so it brings in a lot of people to the community. Uh, we get to see missionaries that we don't get to see as mm-hmm. often as we like and, you know, have meals with them and different things like that. So, yeah, he'll be down uh, at Grace Community, and he's really looking forward to reconnecting with a lot of mm-hmm. people you just don't get to see, you know, all the time. So pastors get together and, you know, get to talk about uh, where they're going in their ministries, what God is doing. And so it's a really sweet time. Yeah, it is a sweet time. I've often heard that the biggest highlight for them often is just reconnecting. Not that the breakout sessions and all that aren't wonderful, but they just love, you know, reconnecting with brothers they haven't seen in a while. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, because Shepherd's Conference is this week, we also get the privilege of having other friends on the show because they're in town. And so I'm very excited to introduce a dear brother in Christ, T. Dale Johnson, Jr., who currently serves as the executive director of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, otherwise known as ACBC which Kim and I are a part of, which we love serving alongside. Um, And we're just excited because not only is Dale the executive director of ACBC, but he's also the director of counseling programs. And he himself is an associate professor of biblical counseling at a wonderful school, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. But on a personal note, he is husband to his dear wife, Summer. Uh, They live together in Kansas City, Missouri with their six children. But even before Kansas became home, uh, he and his family were in Florida, which I believe Dale is from, where he served as an associate pastor of family life at, is it Rayford Road? Rayford. (laughs) Rayford Road Church before completing his Ph.D. in biblical counseling at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, I know Dale is high in demand, so he definitely travels regularly to speak and host ACBC's Truth and Love podcast, which is such a wonderful blessing to many of us. And I know firsthand that he deeply loves the scriptures and the local church and is very, very committed to equipping pastors and church members alike to minister God's sufficient word. So, Dale, it is such a privilege to have you on today. Welcome, brother. It's so good to be with you guys. Thanks for making time. Absolutely. And today, uh, what we want to do is we want to tackle the all-important topic of cultivating care in our informal and formal discipleship relationships. 
This is a key element that I teach in my Methods of Biblical Counseling course. Um, cultivating care is when we, as the discipler or counselor, get the opportunity to involve ourselves in the other person's life for their benefit, where we seek to build a relationship with them in order to help them. And we see this key uh, element demonstrated in the scriptures. And one that stands out to me is John 13, 24 to 25, right? Where Jesus commands the disciples, and by extension to all of us, uh, to love one another. Mm -hmm. That according to our Lord, that is a distinguishing feature of being a disciple of Christ, our love for one another. So we are excited to sort of flesh this out a bit with our friend Dale and Kim. Why don't you get us started with some questions? Sure, happy to do that. Well, first of all, Dale, I'm really excited to get to meet you in person. And thank you for your ministry to the church through ACBC. It has been such a huge ministry to my husband and I, my husband being a pastor. Uh, we want people that are well-trained to come alongside him in pastoral care. Mm -hmm. So it's so, so crucial. But I would really love for you to share with us about counseling in a less formal setting. You know, Shelby and I have a real heart for discipleship and helping women to bring discipleship home to their local churches, right? We love that they listen to us, mm -hmm. but <laughs> there's no place like home, right? So we want biblical discipleship to uh, just be the women to realize that these are some of the sweetest relationships and they, they blossom into biblical friendships, right? Mm -hmm. um, these aren't your enemies that are coming to you. <laughs> these are people that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so it's just a, a really sweet opportunity. And, and we see in the Proverbs, we mm -hmm. see so many uh, examples of a good theology of, of friendship. And it's a great resource for wisdom regarding this God-ordained relationship like, you know, Proverbs 17, 17, right? Uh, it, you know, it says that a friend loves at all times. Well, there's not a lot of wiggle room there right, for when we, when we love. And that that spiritual friendship is even sweeter than our earthly family relationships. And, you know, we also see in the Proverbs that a friend sticks closer than a brother. So there's a, there's a united effort there in friendship that, you know, we stick close and we work hard in this sanctification process mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. We're not alone. And we want these relationships to spur one another towards Christ-likeness, who's our greatest model, like you said, Shelby, mm -hmm. who's the one who has taught us That's right. to love others. So, Dale, this is a two-part question. How does our theology of friendship play in how we disciple those within the body of Christ and then include this theology of involvement or friendship? What Tell me what that looks like. Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm, I'm so grateful to be here with you guys talking about this particular subject. I think, and let, let me tackle a couple of things first that I think are really, really important, and I think this will get to um, some distinction of what we talk mm -hmm. about in the church when we describe counsel or counseling, and, and we want to talk about it in a, in a formal setting. So let, let me make some distinctions first. Sometimes when you hear the word counseling, you automatically think something professionalized. 
Uh, biblically, and I would say in, in Christian history, church history, nothing could be further from the truth. What, what we see in a secular or integrated format relative to counseling is a professionalized setting, and, and it's, it's a, an expert telling other people what they should do or how they should live. Uh, biblical counseling it is really not like that. Yes, we want to be wise in the Scriptures, and we want to lead people well. Uh, but, but when you're talking about an informal setting, we're, we're both striving um, to mm-hmm. follow Christ in humility. We're both trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the idea of, of us giving counsel, I mean, people say, man, I could never do that because they have in their mind this professionalized sort of version of, of counsel. But the truth of the matter is, is we all give counsel. How do we do that? Well, the way in which you listen to people. The, the body language that you give off, the facial expressions when they're talking, you're giving an affirmation or you're denying something that they're saying or giving a disapproval to it. And, and we're offering counsel in some way by the words that we speak, that not far in Proverbs uh, 18, that death and life are in the power of the tongue in the way in which we interact with one another on a consistent basis. Uh, it's very critical that we see that the counsel that we give be biblical. Now, one of the, the greatest metaphors in the New Testament for the church is the family. And I think one of the reasons that we struggle with what um, the church should look like is maybe we don't understand that metaphor, is what is the family supposed to be like, the family of God? Uh, As you mentioned, um, you hear in the South where I'm from that blood is thicker than water. Well, the (laughs) the idea is that um, for those who are blood-bought by Christ, the blood of Christ is thicker than any relationship that we would have. So when we covenant together in the church, it's so critical that we see our task, based on what Paul says in Colossians 1.21, is to make each other complete in Christ. And what that means is that we are in discipleship relationship with people uh, among the fellowship. The, the verse that you mentioned earlier, uh, Kim, Proverbs 17.17, 17, a friend loves at all times. And then it goes on to say, and a brother is born for adversity. So that that tells me a couple of things, is that all of us are going to walk through difficulty and adversity. All of us are going to struggle in many ways, whether that be through issues of sin that we're wrestling in our own heart, or if we we get that bad phone call or we get difficulty, uh, difficult news in our life, we're going to endure adversity. And what the Lord is telling us is our brothers and sisters who are there to help us to walk through difficulty like that, to understand how to live life in relation to God, even with difficult news that we just heard. And so a theology of friendship is so critical when we think about this issue of counseling. So we need to not professionalize this idea. We need to see the beauty of what God has given in the relationships within a local body that we have an aim and a goal. And it's for all of us to be conformed to the image of Christ, be completed or made perfect in Christ. How does that happen? By the way in which we minister the word. Uh, the Scripture makes very clear that we are always to speak the truth in love, but but the ways in which we do that, sometimes it's a confrontation of, of sin in a person's life. I mean, how much do you have to hate a brother to know that the sin that he's committing is destroying his life and the people around him, and we say nothing? But then, then by the same token, uh, we see the, the beauty um, develop through the Old Testament into the New Testament of Jesus being uh, the true balm in Gilead in, in how we minister to the wounds of, uh, of the brokenhearted or the wounded soul, as the Scripture describes. And that's what the shepherd does. That's what Christ does. And so us, as followers of Christ, we're to minister to each other in the same way that Christ, our shepherd, ministers to us. And, and that type of friendship means that no matter what adversity comes, 
comes, no matter what difficulty comes, uh, no matter what issues of sin there may be, or no matter how deep the adversity and suffering, that, that the family life of the body is one that is thicker than anything that, that, that we have, relationally speaking, and that we are to love one another deeply through that. Because the, 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 the Shelby, the verse that you mentioned at the beginning, John 13, 35, um, that people outside will know that we are mm-hmm. disciples of Christ by the way in which we love one another. Uh, what that means is that culturally people should look at it and say, you know what, we shouldn't li- love each other through that sort of thing uh, because we're so selfish and preferential that it's not normal or natural for us to love each other through these types of difficulties. And what the Bible is saying is with, with the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ uh, that he has given us through his spirit, that we can love each other in a way that's distinct from every other uh, relationship in the world. And that people will know that we are true disciples of the Lord Jesus by the way in which we engage one another. And so to me, that's absolutely important. Now, let, let's give a, a secondary thought into this idea of involvement, a theology of involvement. This is very different uh, when we think in comparison to the secular world and, and how counseling actually happens. Uh, the counseling world, there, there's a very uh, defined, what's called a therapeutic relationship, right? And so uh, you cannot have what's called a dual relationship, which means you can't have a relationship outside, right? So if, if, if you and I are members of the church and my duty is to counsel you, uh, then, then I'm in some sort of professional relationship with you, then I can't have a relationship with you outside the counseling room. That is limited. That's considered to be against a code of ethics. Um, for us in biblical counseling, nothing could be further from the truth. The idea is that we want to engage in people's lives. All we have to do is look at our Savior in the way in which he, he lived life among uh, the people. John 1.14 is so important that uh, he came to earth, he dwelt in flesh, and he lived among us. That was a him moving toward us in difficulty, and, and which sets up the, the beauty of the gospel of Christ as he comes into a very dark world. He lives among us a perfect life. Uh, he gives himself for the sake of another. I think that language really expresses what a true friend looks like, um, that, that he sticks to us. He, he lives for our sake. And I think as we, we flesh that out, that's what involvement looks like for us, is um, when difficulty comes, it's, not, it's for us not to retract from a situation. It's for us to run to it because we care about our brother or our sister, and we want to see them walk through this, and we want to bear this burden, as Galatians 6.1 tells us to do, with them through this uh, difficulty. And, and that may mean... Um, I'm going to answer a phone call outside of some sort of formal counseling setting. <laughs> I'm going to go to their house and pray with them. I'm going to uh, have coffee with them in the morning when things are difficult. I'm going to receive a text from them uh, to, to hear what's going on in their life and try to encourage them. I'm going to have relationship with them and, and be involved in their life. And I'm going to enter into the mess of, of their world because this is not just about a you know me being sanitary, staying separated from the issue, um, giving counsel at a distance. This is as I'm walking in life experientially with them in the same way Jesus did with his disciples, where his primary teaching, um, yes, he did a lot of public teaching, but, but most of his ministry, I think you could say, was one-on-one personal ministry where he's explaining to the disciples. And, and notice what he does whenever they're going about uh, in, in the experience that they were having. God, or Jesus was always telling truths about God um, with what they were experiencing in a given moment, right? We're walking along the side of the road, and yeah. he says, look at this fig tree, right? 
And that's really how ministry begins to make sense is I'm, I'm discipling this person through life. My involvement with them is, is I'm connected to them. And as they experience a certain thing, I'm always giving them a Godward orientation uh, toward reminding them who God is and how we're to respond to him no matter what suffering and difficulty we find ourselves in. That's what genuine love really means. That, that's giving myself for the sake of another. It's not having a relationship so that um, I'm exhausting the other person's resources to gain what I want. As a matter of fact, that's the spirit of the Antichrist, biblically speaking. What we're called to do is to engage for the good of another person. That's what genuine love and discipleship truly does, because that's about Christ and not about me personally. So for us, when we think about a theology of friendship, we see this attitude of Christ where he is giving himself for the sake of another. So as you think about um, your involvement with other people, I think that's a key phrase is how do we give ourselves for the sake of another, for the good of another? And sometimes that does mean sharing hard truths, as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about later. But, uh, and, but sometimes uh, and oftentimes that means weeping with those who weep rejoicing with those who rejoice, encouraging them uh, when, when they've had some bad news, uh, giving them a, a Godward perspective about the, the situations and difficulty that they're, they're, they're walking through. A, a teenage you know, uh, kid walks away from the faith or something like that where lots of difficulty could happen or they got a, a bad diagnosis or whatever, and, and we're engaging in their life because no one's ever discipled in an hour-long sit-down conversation. Uh, discipleship happens as life enmeshes in life, uh, and we experience life together. And uh, and you take somebody by the arm and you bear their burden with them. That's the kind of informal counseling that we should be seeing in the church because that's an overflow of Christ, and that's the way we're called to care uh, for each other in the body with with all the one another's that we see in the New Testament. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate the distinction because what's going through my mind right now is if we were if we were engaging in that way, we probably wouldn't need formal biblical counseling yep. all that much because mm-hmm. the life on life, the being involved, the relationship, that's just so key, so important. And as I'm thinking about even what Paul says about, you know, you who are full of goodness should be able to counsel one another. He's talking to the church and that's just so key. And then just the ultimate example that we have, just like you said, it's Christ. I mean, we are to follow him, and he definitely models that for us. And so I appreciate the distinction um, and just the importance of developing those kinds of friendships in the local church, um, you know, life-on-life relationships. But let's just go ahead and segue into just the more formal biblical counseling relationship. Um, as you think of cultivating care within that kind of a relationship, what would that look like um, when a person comes to you and they, they do need a more structured, biblical counseling type situation, you know, when they are coming to us for an hour to an hour and a half. And by the way, women usually meet longer, so I say an hour and a half. Um, and, um, you know, kind of thinking through that key element as we filter that uh, through mm-hmm. the lens of the biblical counselor mm-hmm. and then maybe segue into the broader picture, um, you know, just the local church. How does the local church come alongside and even teach the importance of cultivating care? Yeah, the fact that we're having to distinguish this shows that we sort of have a problem in the church, if we're honest, um, because the, the the more formal setting um, should, as your church grows in care, should grow less and less and less. Now, here's the thing. Um, 
when we think about what the church ought to be doing and how the church ought to be engaging with one another, it is interesting that our culture has sort of taught us and the church has responded to where anytime an issue comes up, there has to be some sort of formal fix for this. And what that does, um, and nobody necessarily intends this, but what that does is it, it diminishes the, the vitality of the church in the, way the, in the way that I think the New Testament depicts what the church ought to be doing and how we hear the word together. We fellowship around the word, we worship together, and then we do the one another's as we're helping each other to grow in Christ. And that should be the normal function. And so we should start to see the church as not sanitary places, but as hospitals for those who are broken. Um, and that's where all the broken people should want to go. It shouldn't be a last resort where uh, I remember being in ministry and, and oftentimes the church office was the last place to know what was actually happening in the lives of people. And, and it wasn't because we didn't try to make ourselves available. It was just they had been so trained to think that, oh, we don't want to bother the pastors. They're so busy doing this. And, and uh, when I have this problem, I go outside to, the, you know, to these people. That was sort of the mentality. And my heart broke over that is that the church was the last resort when it ought to be the first place that we go when we have genuine need. So now let's talk about uh, the specifics relative to formal counseling. When does something arise um, that, that needs formal care? So if we're understanding that, that the church really is the primary place at which we should, we should receive care, uh, if there's some sort of stumbling block in a person's life to where it becomes dominant uh, and they can't move forward, where it's, it's encompassing and becoming the focus of the whole of their life, and they're not able to move forward. I think this is a moment, I call it acute problems. I think this is the moment where we say, okay, you know what, we, we need to have an intense time where we're addressing this particular issue. Now, the goal is always to, to help them overcome that particular issue so that they can move back into assimilation in, in the broader body of Christ. And so when we think about the role of uh, a biblical counselor, for example, where we're going to meet in a more formal setting, I absolutely think that there's uh, great usefulness for us meeting in a formal setting. But but it has to rise to a level of uh, where acute care is necessary and needed. And, and then we engage on purpose, right, where there's a, an identifiable problem and we're going to try and dress, to address it as best as we possibly can. Uh, and the goal is to now disciple this person through this um, whether it be a, a deep traumatic event or some sort of issue of suffering or whatever the case might be, someone sinning against them and we're having to address this issue. Uh, we, we want to do what we can now in a formal setting to help this person to see from a Godward perspective, to respond appropriately so that this issue is not dominant in their life, but how they respond in honor and glory of God to this situation becomes what's dominant in their life. Because we're stewards with whatever it is that God entrusts to us, and we're trying to teach the, this person to, to, to walk in that manner. And then the goal, as I mentioned earlier, is to assimilate them back into uh, the greater body of Christ. And, and uh, I do an assignment. Um, you mentioned that I teach it at Midwestern Seminary. And I do an assignment where um, I, I encourage my students to, I call it a pastoral care contact. And essentially what I, what I mean is they, they have um, one moment. It's, a, it's just a basic um, encounter with someone who's having a, an acute issue, some sort of primary issue. And I get them to ask sort of questions. I want them to identify the problem. I, I want to um, to know what did they actually tell the person and how did they respond. I'm trying to get them to think about how they respond to this this person. How do they think biblically about this particular uh, issue and problem? 
And at the end, what I, what I want them to do is to think about uh, and write a little bit of a context on how the church can engage this particular issue. Because I think sometimes, even in biblical counseling, we have a tendency to do this where we think when a formal setting comes up, it's almost like that's divorced from the church. And it shouldn't be divorced from the church. The goal should always be to uh, care for this person as an extension of the church and then assimilate them back into the normal care, the, the normal rhythms of care within the body of Christ. So I, I'm wanting to tether my students to see that the primary focus should always be the church. How can the church become involved in this person's life, in, in, this, in, in our context, in this lady's life? How can they help her? How can they encourage her? Um, how can they support her if, if she's gone through something quite devastating? Um, if she's you know been diagnosed with cancer and she's caring for children, wh- what can the church do to help with meals and get her to and from and watch her children and all these different things? The, the church can do those things while we're trying to engage the suffering that she's going through. And so it's us thinking like that in, in all ways about utilizing the resources of the body to now minister to this person and and that, again, fulfills what we talked about in John 13, that, that we're learning to love each other, uh, and that proves that we are disciple of Christ genuinely. Absolutely, yeah. That's really good. And as a pastor's wife, I'm, I'm just sitting here going, oh, yeah, I see these situations come to bear in the church all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, someone sitting across my husband and I, and we're immediately thinking of how to engage the body of Christ in the situation that they're in. And so that's a huge confirmation and encouragement to my heart <laughs> as I realize, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do the better thing, the best thing. Now, I want to ask, we know that sin has brought chaos into this world. There's times when a church member will find their life turned upside down, like you said, being sinned against, uh, or maybe they're sinning against someone. And we see this in Scripture all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, chapter 4 of Genesis, Mm -hmm. (laughs) murder has taken place. Mm -hmm. You know, the the earth is new, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's already becoming painfully evident that uh, that sin is bringing chaos. It hasn't stopped sin and suffering. Uh-huh. It still abounds. Uh-huh. So when we get to those harder counseling opportunities, how does that key element of cultivating care come into play with the biblical counselor in the church at large? What are some really, I mean, you mentioned like some, the meals and mm-hmm. things like that, but when you're really having to be strategic mm-hmm. um, in helping them to get back into to body life mm-hmm. um, and even them serving as well too, yep, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I think that's really important. So let me, let me start how I see the church structurally. Because uh, I think that's important is um, sometimes I think we can uh, we, we can say a counselor needs to be involved and therefore then that means that elders don't need to be involved. I think we have to be cautious when we when we um, when we take that perspective in part because uh, the, the people who are primarily responsible for doing the work of soul care based on Hebrews 13, 17, Acts 20, 28, um, are the shepherds. We can never neglect or, or place more power into or authority into the counselor's hands than what the Bible 
gives a, a brother or sister to engage in another person's life. We, we always have to recognize the, the proper authority that God has given, and, and that is biblically uh, under the authority of the church. That That is, those are the elders and uh, or, or the church leaders, the, the pastors, whatever terminology you use there. Uh, and, and that, to me, is very, very critical. Now, does that mean that the pastor or the, the shepherds have to engage in an intimate level on every issue that goes on? No, I, I think that, that would be foolishness, and it would lead to complete burnout. But I think when, when we engage in a formal way in very difficult situations, the, the beauty of what God teaches in something like Ephesians 4, for example, where um, those who lead the church are called to equip us to do the work of the ministry. Now, what is that? I think we expand that to a thousand different things, and I think that's unfortunate because it divides our loyalties to some degree. I think we have to see what that means You know, for you, Shelby, is that that's being a wife and a mom and a professor. How do I, how do I engage the work of the ministry in the roles that God has given me um, to be faithful to him and shepherds are to equip me to accomplish that particular work? And so as we think about ministering to each other, that, that is a primary ministry that God has given all of us to do um, with, with all of the one another's that we see in the New Testament. And so how are the shepherds teaching us to divide that work right? You know, out among the body where the pressure doesn't all sit on their shoulders. It's still an extension of them in what they do. Um, but now we as a body engage in this difficult work when you have, you know, really, really hard counseling situations where, you know, again, the, the, the pastor or the, the few pastors uh, who are on staff, they can't engage at a deep and intimate level maybe with all the things going on. And so I think in God's wisdom and design, he's given the body to accomplish this work. I mean, think about that language. We are the body of Christ, meaning we are to be the hands and the feet. We as God's people are to be the hands and the feet to get into the lives of people, using the illustration that I used earlier, where he he came to dwell among us. And um, we're to do the same as we involve ourselves in people's lives. Now, when we talk about really hard situations, what do we do? I think sometimes we're we're afraid, and and this creates a, a stigma. I think in the church where um, those types of hard things, whatever that might be, the church can't handle, um, and I think that's unfortunate. Biblically speaking, um, we've been called to live life always in everything that we do. The Latin phrase is quorum Deo, which means before the face of God. And if that's true, then everything that a person walks through, no matter how difficult, um, there is to be a Godward perspective in how we live life. So what I'm saying is that in every situation that a person may encounter, no matter how deep and tragic and difficult and traumatic, no matter what the situation is that a person walks through, the church is commanded by God to engage at a deep level in the life of this person to help them uh, with different matters. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes I think we build programmatic ministries and we think, well, we're going to minister in this way. Mm-hmm. And, and we miss a level of involvement in a person's mm-hmm. life. We we sort of um, pat ourselves on the back that, oh, I'm, I'm providing this and I'm providing this and the church is caring. And, and we're missing the aspect of what genuine care looks like in life on life. Um, and, and so, you know, let's take the the illustration that I gave a little bit earlier, where um, someone's diagnosed with cancer in the home. Well, well, that disrupts completely what's happened in uh, what's happening in the in the normal process of a home. And, and so, normal things can't get done. And who's supposed to help in moments like that? Well, the, God has strategically equipped the body of Christ to come alongside and to engage in situations just like that, or you know, something devastating happens, we lose a loved one or whatever. Um, God has called the church to engage at that level 
so that we can uh, so that we can help this person you know walk through faithfully as Ephesians calls as Paul calls the the church at Ephesus to do to to learn how to walk in a, in a way that's worthy of the manner for which we've been called so that we're demonstrating the beauty of Christ the care of Christ with and for one another uh, through the obvious difficulties that that we have in life and so I think this is this is really important that um, as biblical counselors when you engage in a formal situation you're never disconnected from the church. You have no authority outside, uh, you know, in your own uh, intrinsically within you just to engage this, right? Um, the Lord has uh, sometimes uh, equipped uh, distinctly those to engage at a very formal level, and that's wonderful, and we should do that. But it's never done, in my view, outside of the authority of the church, because that's the place that God has given to, to do this type of care. But he's not just simply given it to the pastors. He's given it to all of us to bear those burdens. Now, we do it again, connected to and under the authority of uh, those brothers whom God has called to lead us. And and I think that's an important uh, thing as well. Sometimes counselors, when they engage in a formal level, um, they find themselves disconnected from the church in part because um, they don't acknowledge that authority within the church that God has given. And that's a healthy and a good thing and a protective thing because of their call to shepherd, the, the, the elders call to shepherd. So I think it's important that we always see our engagement uh, is never to be disconnected. It's always to, to have an assimilating um, goal of getting this person back into the normal body life of the church. And, and I'll just share a, a personal word of testimony. I, I can remember uh, and I could recount several different um, times early in my ministry where um, I, I've been gone from the church where I serve now for about 12 or 13 years. And, and there are distinct moments where I had to do this type of care uh, this was frequent, so on a lot of different levels, sometimes really intense. But I, I'm, I'm thinking of several different, very specific, hard moments. And sometimes it was an engaging uh, where, where I had to confront someone relative to an issue of sin. And those are hard moments and very, very difficult. But faithful, the Scripture says, are the wounds of a friend. Mm -hmm. And I can testify to that because to this day when I go back um, and I visit the, the people that I want shepherded, um, those are the people who have been most loyal to me. And when I say loyal, I just mean endearing and grateful because they recognized had they continued walking in the way that they uh, walked, uh, their life would be radically different and not for the better. And uh, and there's such an appreciation for me um, for whatever reason, just because I was willing to to speak truth in a way that was loving and kind and gentle to them. Uh, and, and their appreciation, they, they see how much I love them in that. And that's distinct and different. And then I can remember, uh, you know, one of the first times as a very young man, I was in the room with a family who's losing their uh, losing their dad. And this was an older man in the church who was a wonderful mentor to me. And uh, just a just a great great man. He was not a, a pastor. He was actually a military vet, uh, long term uh, retired from military service. And uh, it was really interesting sitting in the room as this man was dying and just being with the family. And in that, sometimes not knowing what to say, what to do, how do we help when they're suffering, and then in the in the subsequent days after you know he passes, how do we engage the family in this, and just being there with them, uh, and sometimes crying with them, sometimes praying with them and for them, um, sometimes bringing them food or whatever the case uh, might be. I, in that situation, I mean, those are the people when I go back to visit that they want to make sure that they say hello 
and they're, they're so appreciative of just the time and because um, they see that, that what you did in whatever little sacrifice in their suffering, um, how meaningful it was at a very important time in their life. That's what the body is supposed to do. That That's the way we're supposed to care uh, with and for one another. And sometimes, uh, most times, that's an informal. Uh, but then there are some times where it's it's a very formal setting where we, we engage uh, in deep suffering and difficulty, um, and we bring all the resources of the church to bear on that particular situation uh, to truly help them, to show this is how Christ, uh, our Lord, cares for his people uh, when they're when they're destitute, when they're in a despondent situation, when there's difficulty, uh, he takes the broken pieces and and he he puts them back together. He, he's a redeeming God. That's what he does. Uh, he's a restoring God. That's what he does. And so, we're to be the demonstration of that in tangibly in the lives of people. Yeah, I really appreciate that distinction. And I, I can tell you, um, I was a student of Dr. Street mm-hmm. and Dr. Scott who just drilled into my head the importance of uh, just being involved as a biblical counselor in the local church and just the benefits, all the things that you mentioned, and how valuable that's been to me over my just many, many years of ministry there, and just how thankful I am uh, for the shepherds that have been involved in some really hard cases at Mm -hmm. times. And you're right, it's not disconnected um, at all. And even when you have a situation where you have just a counseling center, just even the importance of that counseling bringing a shepherd of sorts or some kind of advocate with them from their own church because ultimately they're the ones that are involved, like you said, in the day-to-day or the, the life-on-life um, outside of us. But just so thankful for that. Um, you know, and so it's evident. I think that we've all uh, definitely said today that cultivating care is just nurtured um, when people who come to see us uh, know that we care, that we sincerely and genuinely care for them. And one thing that Dr. Scott used to say in my own biblical counseling classes that's just stuck with me over the years is that counselees, disciplees, um, they they will not care about what you say um, unless they know that you genuinely care about them. That is just so true. And one of the aspects, I think, of cultivating care is really to make it our aim to show God's compassion you know, Jesus is the just the perfect example of compassion. Um, but there are so many people out there that just don't know. Um, they, they feel like they just need to grow in that area. So maybe if you could just talk to us a little bit about how, how can we grow just in genuine biblical compassion and really grow, you know, kind of speaks to all the issues you've brought up already, you know, but just some wisdom on how we might just help others um, through compassion. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll start by saying um, the, the the primary answer, and then I'll flesh it out a bit. I think I would start by just saying it, it truly is as simple as us growing in Christ. It really is that simple, and I'm going to flesh that out. And you, you hear a lot today about you know d- different uh, tutorials or, or training. We need to grow in empathy and this sort of thing. I think we have to be cautious when we approach these things, and, and the reason is because um, you know, empathy, the word itself, the meaning is is not bad. The, the meaning is actually good. Do we want to have empathy? I would say yes, but the way in, in which the word is used today is as if empathy is intended to be unconditional. Uh, biblically, we can't have unconditional empathy. Uh, the way Dr. Adams uh, used to describe it is sympathetic agreement and sympathetic 
disagreement, that there are times where for me to be faithful to Christ and for me to point a person in the direction where they they themselves can honor Christ with their life, it, it may mean that I have to disagree with them and point them uh, in a different direction. That in and of itself is compassionate, right? And, and we, we miss this element, and I think we get duped into thinking Christ-like compassion is like our worldly definition of empathy is its unconditional positive regard in in many uh, aspects. Biblically, that's just not the case. So how do we think about this and how do we grow in this issue of compassion? I mean, the primary place where we we, we see this is, is Jesus' is teaching and he's up on the mountain and he sees all these people and, and he uh, describes them as, as like sheep without a shepherd, meaning they were going in the wrong direction. They were, they were being scattered by whatever it was that they were being taught. And the Bible describes him as being moved with compassion. Now, now for Christ, that's something that's uh, innate to who he is as, as God. Uh, and he's compassionate. He's appropriately uh, acting in the need of a particular moment. And as he sees people who are without hope and without direction, yes, compassion is absolutely the, the right response. For us as people, that's not as natural to us because we're so self-driven. We, we're so driven by seeing our own needs or in seeing other people and how can we get the most out of them for our own benefit. I mean, let, let's be honest, that's, that's how we think mm-hmm. as human beings. So what is it that needs to change in us so that we can genuinely become compassionate? It, and it means death to self. Mm-hmm. It means we die to self in such a way that I see people through the lens of Christ, that I Philippians 2, I have the mind of Christ. This, this mind needs to be in me. And how do we achieve that? We achieve that by dying to self, being mm-hmm. conformed to the image of Christ, um, loving the things that, that God loves and hating the things that God hates. And, and then what we see is the sociological benefit. We, we see now I love people in a different way. Now I see people in a different way. And my heart is moved when I see them broken. I, I don't look at them in judgment of them, right? I look at them in pity and, um, and compassion. And my heart is moved in a way that I don't want to see them live like that and endure those consequences anymore. Or if they're suffering, I don't want to see them walk through that alone, that difficulty alone. Um, and, and so a person, the, the way that we see people will radically change when our hearts are conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, now we don't see through some sort of lens of self-reflection or self-importance or using that relationship for the benefit of myself, which is so natural to us as human beings. Now I genuinely see, because I, I, I care, I want to give myself for the sake of another. Yeah. I genuinely see them and what they're walking through, and, and I can feel the things that they're feeling, whether it be rejoicing or weeping, uh, whether it be uh, joy or hardship. I can feel those particular things because I see them the way Christ, our shepherd, sees them. And so now I'm I'm moved with compassion. And then we worry about what will we do? Will we do the right thing? Well, when you're moved with compassion of Christ, you will do the right thing. Uh, you will you will speak truth in love to people who need to hear it if they're walking in sin, and you will do it gently. You will bear burdens of another person in a way uh, that's appropriate and, and helpful to them and not harmful to them. Uh, you will 
uh, see their their specific needs of suffering, and you'll desire to do whatever you can uh, to alleviate that pressure off of their life, to help them walk through this, and to help them to be grounded based on the wisdom of God. You'll do whatever it takes because you now love them in a different way. And there's not some sort of worldly protocol that make you know that 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 says you're now a certified compassionate and empathetic person. No, uh, the way this works is as our hearts are changed, this now becomes, we're walking consistent with who God has made us and the new heart that he's given us. Um, And it becomes something that's organic and very natural to us in how we see people and how we care for people. Because that lens changes. We We wanna care for them the way Christ cares for them. So we see them, we learn to see them the way Christ sees them. That's such a good word. Thank you so much. It's very encouraging. I I think no matter who's listening to this, that they'll see the reality of their responsibility to grow in the grace and the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that grace is knowing, becoming like him, right? And knowing just what you said, who he he is. Well, I'll say if, if that's your focus, genuinely speaking, it uh, formulates a humility in you mm-hmm. and an expectation that I'm not better than that person because I know I know how deep the grace of Christ has had to reach to get me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a constant growing in the same way that Paul, you know, early in his ministry says he's the least of all the apostles at the end of his ministry. Something happened to where the Lord is unveiling consistently the depth of wickedness in his own heart to where he says he's the chief of all sinners. That That's a, a, a perspective of humility that if we're not confronting ourselves with the scriptures and conforming ourselves into the image of Christ, we will miss how to see people in a humble gentle disposition. And to be honest, there's not a worldly way that you accomplish that. Mm. That that can only happen by the supernatural power of Christ changing us day by day into his image so that now we see we see differently with a humble disposition, but a deeply caring and confident disposition to engage darkness where it exists, bringing the light of Christ. Yeah, and it takes the professionalism aspect mm. out. And you wrote a little bit about that, didn't you? I did. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is this is. Uh, I'm very passionate about this. My book, uh, The Church is a Culture of Care. I try to flesh some of this out. Good. So good. And we we should encourage our listeners to to get that book. Absolutely. That would be a, a useful tool. Very useful. In uh, and, and think of you know. All the lay people get this book and apply this book, right? Apply the truths of Scripture that are given to them. And what a blessing they will be to the elders of their church, to the leaders of their church, as they partner with them in doing, like we've said, this life on life ministry. So, so encouraging. Dale, thank you so much for the time um, that you have shared with us today. We are so appreciative, and it's just a privilege to have you here. And we want our listeners to be sure to look for the Truth and Love podcast. After having him on, we know you're going to want to get on your podcatcher and get that. So also, if you're interested in finding a biblical counselor, learning more about biblical counseling, um, maybe you're in the beginning stages of uh, the training process, be sure to go to biblicalcounseling.com where there are multiple resources. We also invite you to find Women's Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also have a Facebook group as well where we share many useful resources, and I will be sure to share Dale's book on 
that resource. So be sure to request to follow that Facebook group. Also, the ACBC conference is in Santa Clarita, California in October. I am so excited. Shelby and I will be there, Lord willing, and we would love to see you there. The conference is a wonderful avenue to learn more about the beauty and necessity of biblical discipleship and counseling. So be sure to look into attending that. Shelby, it's our prayer that this episode has helped our listeners to see the care and involvement that is taught at ACBC and encourages you to go out today to become a better biblical friend filled with a heart of compassion. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to the Women's Hope Podcast of the Masters University. For more resources and episodes, visit masters.edu slash women's hope. For more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. We'll see you next time.